Good to be here. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. We're going to continue as uh, we've been talking about the gifts. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which might seem like he's getting off topic because he's been going hard on the gifts, talking about how we are one. Last week we saw how, or two weeks ago, how we're all part of the same body. Amen? Amen. I can't say that I don't need you. Well, I can say that. I should. <laughs> From God's perspective, all of us need one another. No part of the physical body exists apart from having a relationship with every other part of the body. And, and, and that was the, the analogy that, that Paul was making to stress the point of the importance of the body. Now, I know humanly, what do we do? We tend to look at people through the eyes of position, power, and then we start judging ourselves. Well, I'm not like that person, or I'm not like that person. I don't have what this one has, or I don't have what this one has. That's human nature, right? It's human nature. That's the way the world functions. That's not the way God's people should function. When God looks at every single believer, there's not this dichotomy of value. Like you're more valuable than someone. No, God does not look at it that way. And Paul's point last time in dealing with the body is to show us each of us have a part to play in God's kingdom and what God is doing here on earth through the local church. Amen? Amen. And so the Corinthian church was not only struggling with this truth, but they were making a mess of what it means to be part of the body. There was division. There was proud boasting. What do we call that? Grandstanding? Is that what that word is, right? People trying to bring attention to themselves. And one of the things where this was happening was around the gifts. And so Paul, in the middle of talking about the oneness of the body, the diversity of the gifts that we all have, he now comes to 13 and he gives this discourse on love. Might seem like it's out of place, but it's not. It's not. Because what Paul is going to emphasize here is not that it's about love versus the gifts. No, no, the gifts are important. We, we've seen that in a number of messages. God has given the gifts to the church. They're important. Amen. Why does he bring this topic of love up? Because they lost sight of the fact I should be using my gift in the context of loving you. And if I had that attitude, then there would be no boasting or no division. Amen. That's why he gives this teaching 
on love. A lot of times, you know, we call it the love chapter because he's talking about what biblical love is. But don't lose sight. It's within the context of God's people dividing, grandstanding, thinking they're better than others, causing division. In the church, this is remember, this is the church he's writing to, right? And Paul says, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let me tell you what love is and the importance of love within the body. Amen. So that's what we're going to look at today. Let's pray. That's God's blessing. Father, as we look at this chapter on love, I pray that you would open up our eyes, give us understanding, convict us, God, where we are not perhaps loving this way. Father, we want to be a representation of Jesus Christ and the love that he showed us. So, Father, open up our eyes as we look at your word in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So let's start right at 1 Corinthians 13. Right at the beginning, notice he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Do you, do you see what the Apostle Paul is doing here? He's going to the very extreme. Remember, they were enamored with the gifts. They were enamored, especially with those gifts that were more prevalent, like speaking in tongues, gifts of prophecies, right? So Paul says, look, if I have tongues not only of men but of angels, wow. You can imagine them listening to this letter being read, and I'm, oh, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah. What about that, Paul? But I have not love. What is it like? A noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, it's empty. So what? It doesn't hold any value. But wait a minute. But you have the gift. Speaking tongues of men and of angels? Like, isn't that enough? No. See, this is the argument he's beginning to make. It's not about the gifts in and of themselves that you possess. It's that you are using them in love towards your brother and sister in Christ. Man, if we could get this distinction, we get so enamored with the gift, but we forget, but without love, what does he say? I have what? Nothing. If everything that we do here at Hope in using our gifts, it's not being used out of love, genuine love for one another. So what you have that gift? Mm -hmm. So what? It's like 
a gong. It's like this noise that is empty and has no value to it. Notice, he's going to keep up in the ante. Because then he talks about having understanding in verse 2, right? All mysteries, understanding all mysteries and all knowledge and all faith. Right? He didn't say some. Some faith, some knowledge. All. Wow. He's using some hyperbole here, right? He, he's going to the max to make a point. All faith, all knowledge, and, I, and watch this. If I have all faith, and not just any kind of faith, so as to remove mountains. You say, man, I want to be like that guy. Yeah, but have not love. I'm nothing. Do you see the comparison here? See, God is not impressed with the use of our gifts apart from love. Amen. This is the point that Paul's trying to make. Notice as he goes on in verse 3. He's again, he's upping the ante. Right? He's upping the ante here. Look at verse 3. If I give away all I have. Wow. Imagine somebody like literally giving away all that you have. You would say, man, I want to be like that guy. That guy is so compassionate. And, and, uh, and I believe what, what Paul is doing here, remember, he's talking to a, a church that is divided over the spiritual gifts. And their problem is they're lacking love. And I think he's playing off of the gifts that are in play in the Corinthian church. So maybe there is someone with the gift of generosity. Remember, that was one of the gifts. And that guy is so generous. He's giving away his camels and giving away goats. And his, well, it was back in the Bible day, right? So y'all looking at me funny. Like they had, that's what they would have, right? And Paul says, if I give everything, away. All that I have. That's pretty commendable. Yes? Let's go one higher. And if I deliver up my body to be burned. Whoa. Now the idea here is that, that look, I'm going to give up my life. Do you sacrifice yourself that way? I'm, I'm giving it, if I give him my life, so I can say, look, Ron has laid it all on the altar. Wow. You would say, man, to be like him, give up everything. But look at what he said. But have not love. <laughs> I gain nothing. Man, we need to feel the weight of that. Amen. How many people do you know that are sacrificial? And they're giving. How many people you know that that appear to be on the outside examples of the Christian faith and what it should look like? Well, they could be going through all the motions, but if they don't have love, it means nothing. Wow. It comes up as a, 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 a symbol or a gong or this noise. It's, it, it's nothing if it is not couched, done 
motivated by divine love Amen. for one another. We can't miss this. We throw this word love around. We just throw it around, right? I mean, we just throw, hey, how you doing, man? Yeah, how you doing? Hey, I love you, man. Yeah, I love you, too. Do you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like, when, as, as, as he's about to now describe what divine love is, I want you to challenge yourself and ask yourself, as we see what God says love is, ask yourself, we each need to do this individually, and say, do I truly love my brothers and sisters in the Lord? Uh, this is convicting. I not only have to apply this to you guys, because in the context, he's addressing an issue in the church. But you can even extend that out applicationally. And I had, as I, I, I was going through this, I was saying, hey, do I love Monique? You ask me about love Monique. Absolutely. I don't even have to think about it. Right? And you who are married, you will probably say the same thing. I hope you would say the same thing. If not, come see me. Right? But then when you really start seeing what divine agape love is, I start saying, whoa, wait a minute. Do I love money? You see, you could look on the outside of our marriage and say, wow, he works hard, provides a roof. You know, they had kids, she was a stay-at-home mom, and he worked three jobs. Literally, that's no exaggeration. One full-time, two part-time. Man, he must really love her. You know, on the outside, it could appear that way because we're looking at all the physical things we're doing. But you know, on the inside, you could be lacking true biblical love. That's right. Just like you can have all those gifts and people doing all those gifts. Man, that person really must know. They can be doing that from a whole different motivation, not love. Right. And watch what Paul now begins to do after making this argument that if you don't have love, then you have nothing. It's empty. Now he comes to verse 4, and he begins to unpack what this love should look like. So he says, love is patient, in verse 4. The idea there is it perseveres. It perseveres. It, it, it doesn't just, the, the first sign of conflict is, oh, I'm out, I'm out. I don't have nothing to do with you anymore. No, no. Love, it, it has staying power. Right? Love is patient. It perseveres. But then love is kind. And this is, it actually has acts of kindness. Now, I, I, I want you to notice that as he's describing what love is, these are like actions. These aren't adjectives. These are actions. Real biblical love causes me to act a certain way towards you. Amen. So I persevere. I show kindness. Love does not boast, does not envy or boast. In other words, there's, there's no jealousy there. I'm not boasting about who I am and what I do. Look at me, look at me. But also, I don't envy 
There's not jealousy there. I wish I could do that. There's not vying for position. I'm going to try to get on the pastor's good side so I can get to that second seat up on the stage. Now that might sound funny, but there are many churches that function that way. Mm -hmm. I've seen it. I've been a part of churches like that. You see the, I call it church politics. It's sickening. It's man-centered. Things not being done out of a devout love for Jesus Christ but rather that you might get a position of power and influence. No, true love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It's not puffed up. It's not prideful. It's not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. I might have shared with you guys when we were trying to put together a, a program, I'll leave the church unnamed, protect the innocent. But they wanted to get this particular speaker to come in, who was a bishop. And the name was suggested, and quickly someone voted it down and said, no, no, no. He's not going to come all the way over here and just speak for 15 minutes. Because we wanted someone to give a 15-minute challenge at this program. He said, no, no, no. What got me was the comment that someone made, and it went something like this. Someone of his caliber, Bishop, can't come all the way across town for 15 minutes. You would be disrespecting him by giving him 15 minutes. And then they looked at me. They <laughs> said, so what do you think, Rob? <laughs> you shouldn't have asked me. I said, because I don't want the bishop coming if that's his attitude, even if we could give him an hour. We fall into this man-centeredness. And it's no longer about the love of Christ and the humility of Christ. It's about you. It's about your position, about your power. Paul says, no, true love doesn't function that way. True divine love is not putting the camera on yourself. You're not arrogant. It's not about you. This is not about your ministry. This is not about your legacy. No, this is about Jesus Christ. Amen. Of whom you and I are just servants, slaves. Amen. If God's people were to think more like that, how much more would that cause hope to love one another more because you would remove the mask you would remove feeling some kind of way because of that person no we're all one in Christ different gifts different roles but none better than the other and if we allow everything to be fueled out of divine love man can you see the walls that would break down can you see the love that would happen even in this small body? Amen. That's what God desires. And even though Corinth was probably a bustling church, and in this area with all the stuff going on and all these gifts, remember, many of these gifts were taking place in the church actively. But what was, what was missing in this church? 
They didn't have wealth. So Paul was trying to bring them back and say, you know, you might be boasting because you got all these gifts going on. But because you have love, you have nothing. You have nothing in God's eyes. Sobering. He goes on in verse 5 as he's unpacking what love is. Love is not rude. Wow. Yes, you know, why? why would you even have to tell a believer that? I mean, do, do you sense how off track these people are? You got to tell a Christian not to be rude? And, and the idea here as he's unpacking what love is, I, I, I think what's really going on here, uh, love is not rude the way you are. I, I think that's what's happening here. I think what he's doing is like, you know, love is not arrogant the way you are. I, I think that's the point. Mm -hmm. He's addressing where their character is not Christ-like. And he's doing it by unpacking what true love is. But he says love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. Man, how often does that happen in the church? Sat around a deacon table, about 15 deacons, and we're talking about ministry, and the five elders, which I was one of, are talking about where we're going, where we believe God is leading the church at the time. We were the shepherds. That's our job, right? Pray, seek God's face. What would God have us to do? We present that at the deacons meeting, and here's an objection. Well, Pastor, I feel like if you guys move in that direction, I already know about two people who are, aren't going to agree. I said, okay, well, we'll come sit and talk with them and tell them why we believe scripturally, after praying, after fasting, getting before God, that that's where we believe God would have us to go. Tell them to come talk. Well, no, no, they'll probably just leave the church. Wow. But here's the part that really got when this was said. And you know if they leave, they are two of the biggest givers in our church. I said, then hit the door. I'll hold it open for them. Do you know how many times that comes up in ministries? And so it's not men of God being led by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. It's people's paychecks and the pews that are determining where the church goes. That is not of God. Amen. That is not of God. And so there are people who are insisting on their own way, and they do it through money. This is the Christian church Paul's talking to. Let's not lose sight of that. He's not talking to pagans here, guys. This book is written to believers who are functioning this way. So he has to address it. I totally understand why people are disdained with the concept of church. I get it. Trust me, I get it. They're tired of the politics. They're tired of all of the, what is supposed to be a place where the love of God is flowing. It's all of this stuff. I get it, I get it. I hear those horror stories in counseling all the time as to why people aren't in church. God understands it too. But we can't lose sight. The church is God's design. Amen. And we don't get to walk away from it 
because it is misused or abused. It's God's design. Amen. And notice what he says here. Again, he's giving us what love is not. It doesn't insist on its own way. It is not irritable. Oh, man. Conviction. <laughs> not irritable or resentful. You ever feel this towards one another? That's not love. It's not love. Paul is hitting the nuance of love from so many different avenues that it's like he's backing you up in the corner. He's backing you up in the corner. It's almost like, uh, well, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, rude. I'm nice to everybody. Yeah, okay. Are you ever irritable? Um, like he's caught, he's hitting it from every area to show us what true godly love is. This is not what's happening in this church. They are being irritable. They are being resentful. They are insisting on their own way. That's why he had to stop in the midst of dealing with the confusion over the gifts and say, you know what, guys? Let me tell you what your real problem is. You don't understand love. If you start loving each other this way, then the use of the gifts would play out properly. Amen. Amen? But he goes on. Look at what he says in verse 6. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Again, why would a believer do that? Why, 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 why would a believer not only rejoice at another brother's wrongdoing, but why would they rejoice in the fact that they're not acting properly? How far off can you go? What? Because they lost sight of what true love is. Remember in 1 Corinthians 5 when there was a man among them caught in sexual immorality and not only did they not rebuke him, but they were proud about it. That's Christians. Someone caught in sexual immorality and not only do they not rebuke him, but they boast. Wow. This is the same church he's writing to. And yet, as they gathered and they worshiped, they probably thought that they were good believers, that they were showing the love of God by coming together and worshiping and using their gift. And Paul says, no, 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 that's not love. Guys, this is sobering because that means that we can go through all these motions and it'd be empty. It'd be like a, a, a clanging symbol in God's eyes if love is missing. Wow. That's convicting. Mm -hmm. And we got to examine our hearts and you know, it really comes down to like, why are you here? <laughs> You're real practical. Like, why, why are we here? Why, why are you here? Why am I here? Is it out of, first, a divine, God-given love for him that should automatically trickle down into how I treat you? Or is it about, it's cultural, it's Sunday, I like the people, I like the Christmas lights, I like the food, I, I feel morally good when I come. It can be all these other things other than 
driven by godly love. Amen. We need to take inventory. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And that is truth that is rooted in God, in the person of Jesus Christ, and who he is, and what he stands for. Notice he continues in verse 7. Love bears all things. The idea here is it, it, it covers like a roof. I, I love that. It's like you and I are sitting under this roof. This roof is, 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 is keeping elements off of us. Love covers all things. Wow. Puts up with all things. I got to put up with you. And you got to put up with me. Love enables that. <laughs> I just don't like the way he walks around the stage all the time. Love enables you to put up with that. Amen. I just don't like the way y'all fall asleep when I preach. Love has to put up with that. <laughs> it will go both ways. Right? But this is the idea. It doesn't, like, but there's something bigger than our actions. It's God's divine love that was first shown to us that now I show to you. Amen. So I'm able to put up with all of those things that I might not like or might not be my preference. That's okay. This divine love keeps us together. Isn't Amen. beautiful? Amen. Love bears all things, believes all things. The idea of, of trust. Mm -hmm. You know, when you truly love someone with the love of Christ, you, you, you have their, their best at heart. You really do. You want what's best for them. Now that might mean me coming to you and doing what? Correction. Mm -hmm. Correction. No, oh, that church, you know, he, the pastor corrected me, you know, so we just left. I said, hold on. Your pastor sat down and corrected you on something and you left? Don't you realize that's an act of God's love? Wow. If I don't love you, then I'll never correct you. Mm -hmm. But if I'm driven by the love of Christ, like Paul said, the love of Christ compels me. I, I have to speak God's truth to you. Why? Out of love for you. But sometimes that truth might come across as correction, reproof, rebuke, right? That's all part of it. It's not always just lovey-dovey. It's not, oh, you're such a great person. You're just, and as soon as we stop getting that, I'm, 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 what? Mm -hmm. That's not love. But the idea of this biblical love, it believes all things, it, it hopes all things, it endures all things, like Paul's just piling it up. Love enables us, and, and ultimately, this love is coming from Christ. Okay? Let's not miss the connection here. Ultimately, where is all this coming from? Where is all this type of love coming from? Jesus. Amen. Here's Paul's point. Anywhere he has love here, you can remove it and put the word Jesus. Mm -hmm. 
Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. Jesus endures all things. Amen. And we're followers of him. You see, in essence here, here's what's going on. Paul's making this argument that the reason you have divisions over the gifts is because you lack understanding of what true biblical love is. And if you understood that this biblical love that he's describing is the type of love that Christ showed you, Amen. it would bring you to your knees in humility. And then you would start loving one another the same way. That's the connection he's trying to make. It echoes John when John says what? Herein is love. You want to know what love is? Here's how John explained it. Not that you loved him first, but he loved you first. Then we love him. We only love him because he first loved us. Amen. You want to know what real biblical love is? God took the first step, met all of our needs through the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Give me a reason why you're not going to love one another. Amen. That's the point he's making. Don't claim that you know Jesus Christ in word, just in worship, but relationally, are you doing this? If you're not, you're not loving. Mm. This is not you just going through the motions. This is a genuine love, concern for one another. Why? Where's that motivation coming from? Because we understand what Jesus did on the cross for us. Amen. When I look at churches that have a lot of division going on, whether it's in leadership or among the people, do you know the one thing that would solve it all? If they would be reminded of the love that Christ showed because no matter what your issue is with another person, no matter what it is, they might have wronged you, they might have spoken ill about you, they might have promised something, didn't do it, whatever, fill in the blank. No matter what the offense is from another believer to another one, it will never, ever compare to the offense you and I are to a holy God. And yet, he sent Christ to absorb that wrath that was mine. And now I'm not going to speak to you because you offended me. Whoa. But yet, my Heavenly Father forgave me. But now I'm not going to forgive you because you did something. Do, do you see the problem? This is why the book of Colossians says, just as Christ has forgiven you, so you must, must forgive one another. You, you want to wrestle with a sobering verse? For if we do not forgive others, Christ, your heavenly Father, will not you want to see how serious God takes his love? 
dare we take advantage of this divine love and then withhold it from other people? Ooh, your standard higher than God's? But you don't understand what they've done to me. And you don't understand your sin that was poured out on Jesus. And now you're a child of God. You understand? If we understand what Jesus did on the cross, it fuels. It becomes the reason we can love this way. I can't love this way in and of my own power. Nobody can. Bears all things, believe all, hope all things. And do, I can't do that in my own strength. Amen. But through the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, who is working Christ in us, we can begin to love this way. Amen. And guess what goes by the wayside? Divisions, hang-ups, clicks. It just melts away. It can't stand under the pressure of this type of love. Amen. That's what Paul's trying to get across. Amen. Look at verse 8. Love never ends. Look at the quality of this. It never ends. There's nothing that can be done to squelch this love. It just keeps coming back. Because <laughs> it's motiva motivated through the Spirit of God and what God has done for you. Growing up, what we used to I'm, I'm dating myself now. Um, how many people remember uh, Weevil Wobbles? Weevils wobble, but they don't fall down. <laughs> right? The little tree house. Right? And it was these little figures that literally you can't knock them down. Right? You push them, and they had a round base, so they would just keep moving back up. They can fall, and they'll fall, but they pop right back up. Right? Anybody, any Weevil Wobbles in the house? Yeah. <laughs> That's what divine love is like. Amen. It, it never ends. Why? Because look at the source of it. Christ. <laughs> the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, you and I are not going to love perfectly like this all the time. But if you are a true believer... I believe with all of my heart, the Holy Spirit will get you back on track when you stop loving this way. Amen. Why? He will not accept any type of love other than divine love Amen. coming through your life to someone else. Amen. That's why I can't stay mad at Monique. I can't stay mad at my kids or mad at Emmanuel or mad at anybody for any amount of time. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is like, okay, uh, um, are you done having a little fit? Yeah, but Lord. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, now get up. Come on, get up. Get up. Go over there. Love your brother. That's what happens in the, in the life of every true believer. Amen. Why? How do I know that's true? Because God said, I am creating Christ in you. Amen. And the work that I've begun in you, I'm going to finish it. Amen. Imagine if we did that. That's hope. Do you see how that's just going to draw us together as a body? Like nobody can get in between. They're going to be learning. Those people over there like really crazily love one another. Mm. And then and, and the thing about it, like they love one another. But I know what that person did to that person. <laughs> I know those two got in an argument the other week. But look at them. They just keep coming back together. They just keep coming back together. The love of Christ constrains us. 
The love of Christ keeps putting us back in each other's lives. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's how the Holy Spirit works in every true believer. I don't understand it. Well, at least on the surface. When a believer sits in my office and says, I don't care if I ever talk to that person again. And it's a fellow believer. I don't understand that. Mm -hmm. How do you get to that point in light of 1 Corinthians 13? Well, you don't understand what they've done. I, I, I always get that thrown in my face. Pastor, you don't understand what they've done. I don't have to understand what they've done. Jesus understands what you've done. And he died for it. Amen. Stop making other people the standard. Jesus is the standard. Amen. And if we understood what Christ did on the cross for us, love should flow out of our lives to one another, no matter who you are, no matter what you get, no matter your economic situation, your ethnicity, no matter, it doesn't matter. Love is what drives us. This is what the Corinthian church was missing, folks. And I pray to God that we at Hope would embrace these truths and ask the Holy Spirit, open up our eyes. Where are we not loving like this? Amen. I notice what he says after he gives this explanation of godly love. Now look what he does. He turns to what the issue was at hand, these gifts. Not that there's an issue with the gifts. It's how they were using them apart from love. And he says, listen, as for prophecies, all those guys who had prophecies and the gift of prophecy in that church, oh, yeah, 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 uh, that's me, Paul. Well, they will pass away. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. As for tongues, yeah, that's us. Yeah, we're the tongue speakers in the church, thank you. They're going to cease. As for knowledge, the gift of knowledge, it will pass away. Do you see what he's starting to do? He's not saying that these gifts are no longer in play. That's not what his point is. His point is you're using these gifts apart from love. Don't you realize that all of these gifts have been given to the church for the edification of God's people? But one day there will be no need for that because we will be in the presence of God. But do you know the one thing that will never stop existing? Love. Amen. That's his point. Look at what he says, verse 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Verse 10. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. We know in part. We prophesy in part. When the perfect comes, right, the partial will pass away. Now, now follow his logic here. You see, he's going to explain this. Look at verse 11. He's going to, okay, listen. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. Okay, that makes sense. I thought like a child. Yep, that's the state I was in. I was a child. I reasoned like a child. Okay, that, that makes sense. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. See, he's making a comparison between the state of things 
A child, once he grows up, no longer reasons like a child. Okay? Follow the argument. What does this have to do with the gifts? You're using these gifts which have been given for the edification of God's people. But you're using it without love. Don't you realize that, that when that which is perfect is coming, I believe there he's talking about when we're going to see Christ face to face. Perfect state. We will see him and we will be known as we are known. Then the gifts are no longer needed. They're not, why? Because we're in God's presence. <laughs> But guess what does not pass away? Love. <laughs> Even in eternity, we will be loving one another with this divine love. Amen. Do you see the value of this love? They're so enamored with the gifts. They lost sight of the love. Love is the only thing that passes into eternity. Not the gifts. So why not strive for what? The gifts? Interesting, because in the very next chapter, he's going to say, pursue what? Spiritual gifts. Pursue spiritual gifts. He's not against them. He's not against them. But you need to couch them within this divine love Amen. for one another. So it doesn't become about the gifts. And then we got division and discord. Beautiful argument. Amen. Look at verse 12 as we wrap up. So he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. <laughs> oh, I am waiting for that day. Amen. I am waiting. Can, can you, do you ever just ponder what that's going to be like to see the face of Jesus? I don't think it's going to be a blue-eyed, long, fabby, old, running hair guy. That's just my humble opinion. But beyond what Jesus looks like, it's who he is. Amen. To look in the eyes of the one who was God incarnate, crucified, and rose. Wow. Right now, the gifts, what are the gifts doing? The, the, the gifts are building us up in the Lord. Right? The gifts are for what? For our edification in the Lord to encourage us, give us faith. Hey, be encouraged, sister. Be encouraged, brother. Right? All the gifts are used to build us up. But then when it's like, oh, there's Jesus. Woo! Drop off the gifts. There he is. I don't need the gifts anymore. There he is. Amen. 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 He says right now we, we, we kind of only see it partially. You know, we, we get little glimpses of what it's like to know the sweetness of Jesus through the gifts. Amen. Through the gifts. We, man, that was sweet. That was sweet worship. That was sweet. How that person read that verse and it went with that and that person stood up and said that. And, like we get a little glimpse of like Jesus communing with us. But one day face to face. Amen. There he is. And no longer, no longer do I need the gifts, because I have the one whom the gifts are all about. <laughs> so why are we fighting over these gifts? Why are we boasting? Why are we causing division? You see? What are you guys doing? Now I know in part. 
then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And that's when we see Jesus Christ. So then he concludes and says, so now, in light of everything I said, so now faith, hope, and love abide. They're here, they're present. They have staying power in your lives. These three. But the greatest is love. Because when we see Jesus Christ, no need for faith. <laughs> when we see Jesus, any need for hope? No. The hope of glory is right there in our face. But the greatest of these, when we see Jesus, any need for love? Yes. <laughs> love goes into eternity. Amen. Everything you do in using these gifts, couch it through the love of God by loving one another. And folks, I don't believe we can do this if we take our focus off of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Amen. His love, his love displayed by the Father sent him to a bloody cross to feel, absorb the wrath of a holy God for my sin and your sin. That's love. And now he turns around and says, love one another as I have loved you. What excuse do we have? None. Father, thank you for the love of Christ. Oh God, I pray for us here at Hope that we would be reignited in our understanding of this great love that you poured out through Jesus Christ. God, help us to mold it over in our minds that it might melt away other desires that maybe we're running after, trying to get stuff set up in our life so we feel contentment or maybe even feel love. There is no love greater than Oh, remind us of this. Forgive us, God, for setting up things in our life to take the place of your love. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we will be reminded of the love of Jesus Christ. I pray, God, for those here that may not even know you, that may have been just going through the motions. God, really don't know the love of Christ. They've never experienced it. They've never bowed the knee. They've never thrown their hands up in true repentance and asking God for you to save them on the merits of Jesus Christ. Oh God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw those people to you even now. Lord, we want to love you the way you have commanded us to love. So please help us, God, by your Spirit. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.